Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, everyone. I'm Jacob. Until recently... I tried not to attract too much attention, but everything changed when I was locked in a store freezer for the whole night. Now, I will tell you how this all happened. As I said, I've never liked being the center of attention, and I tried to keep a low profile to the maximum possible extent. I was really good at it, and even my own parents could not always notice my presence or absence. Once, we went together to the place where I had to perform on stage. On our way, I fell asleep in the backseat of the car, and my parents went to the concert without me. When I woke up, I did not immediately come to understand what had happened. My shocked parents were shaking me and asking where I had been. Well, could I have run away from a locked car? In short, they were waiting for two hours for me to appear on the stage, and all this time... I had been enjoying a balmy sleep in the back seat. This year, on Christmas Eve, my parents and I went to the supermarket to buy what we needed. Many relatives were supposed to visit us, and for a huge number of gifts and products, my dad rented a pickup truck. My parents and I immediately divided the list between the three of us to make the purchasing process quicker, and then we went to different departments. I had to buy garlands and toys for my cousins. Surprisingly, I quickly dealt with my part of the plan and went to wait for my parents near the car. Soon, they returned and said that during this time, they hadn't managed to buy even a fifth part of the required goods so I could have a snack somewhere and then go to the meat department where they would be waiting for me. I didn't want to eat at all. So instead, I went into the furniture department and sat down on a soft armchair. I was relaxed and immediately fell asleep. A store worker woke me up saying that it was forbidden to sleep there and the store was already closing. Being a little drowsy, I did not clearly hear the second part of his words and rushed to the meat department to find my parents. The store, in particular the meat department, was already empty, but I decided to check the freezer and this was my fatal mistake. Having walked inside, I realized that this was a warehouse. 
but not a meat department. So I turned around to leave it when suddenly noticing a store worker. It seemed to me that it would be better to wait until he left so that he would not say that I was walking in the restricted area. That's why I hid between the rows. He went to the cloakroom, hung up his vest and left, closing the door and turning out the light. There was complete silence in the store. After five minutes, I was cold and decided that it was okay to leave. Coming closer to the door, I wanted to get the phone out of my pocket to find the door handle, but it was not there. Dang chair, apparently I left the phone on it. How could this happen? Then I decided to turn on the lights, but the switch did not work. I started knocking on the door, but everything was in vain. Perhaps everyone had left already. Will I really have to sit here all night until the store opens? This thought scared me. It was very cold and I remembered that the worker left his vest. Putting it on, I had a better chance of not dying from freezer burn. After finding it by touch, I came across a lighter in my pocket. It was working, but it's impossible to survive on the fire from some lighter and I remembered the list which was in my pocket. I started burning it and looking around. There were boxes full of meat products everywhere and I decided to break one of them to make a fire. I tore off the labels from several boxes and started burning them after putting them on top of those sticks that were broken off from the pallets. The first time it didn't work out, I had to tear off more labels, but on the second attempt, I got a source of heat. I was thinking that a fire alarm could go off, but it was absent in this room or it was malfunctioning, but the ventilation worked and this allowed me not to suffocate from the smoke. After thinking a little bit, I realized that I would have to wait another eight hours to be saved because my parents were unlikely to think that I could stay in a place like this. The simplest solution would be to fall asleep, but perhaps not in such circumstances and not this time as it was so cold that one could die instead of falling asleep. I sat by the fire and began to think of how to entertain myself. Suddenly, my stomach started rumbling. I should have had a bite then, I thought but later remembered that there was a huge amount of meat around me. It was okay to take a piece, especially considering that next to me, there was a bonfire on which I could cook it. My choice fell on a juicy piece of beef. With the help of sticks, I put it into the fire and started waiting. My parents never allowed me to cook and I didn't even realize that this wouldn't work. It burned from the outside and remained raw inside. Then I understood that it was actually impossible to fry such a large piece of meat and I didn't even have a knife to cut it into pieces. When I began to search for something smaller, I turned my eyes to the pickled chicken wings. That was the perfect choice. Despite the fact that I did not have a grill, I still had to put the pieces into the fire as their small size allowed the meat to be cooked inside so I could have a good bite. After sitting next to the fire for some time, I decided to go around the whole room with a lighted stick, hoping to find something useful. In one of the corners, there was a barcode labeler. I turned it on and saw what time it was. It appeared that four hours had passed, which made me very happy because half of the time of my imprisonment was behind me. Under it, there was a folder with documents. I grabbed it in order to pass my time somehow by studying boring information. Then I completed the tour around the premises, not finding anything interesting and sat down to read. The information from the documents shocked me. It turned out that a year ago, there had been a check in the store and a number of serious safety violations had been found there 
including the lack of the fire alarm and the free access of customers to the food warehouse. The store director made a written commitment to eliminate all the shortcomings as soon as possible, but as you can understand from my story, this had not been done. This was very valuable information for me. I was holding a real bomb in my hands. It was the priceless, compromising material. Maybe I would use it. The other documents were no less interesting. It turned out that this store buys meat from private individuals and this product does not undergo any sanitary examinations. The crux of the biscuit was the fact that expired products were being pickled. Suddenly, I was scared as I could have been poisoned by tasting the wings. I hoped that I would get by with it. That is, I would not become a hostage to the toilet after I was released from the freezer. After the last document, I sat by the fire and worried about my health. But I was sure that when I got out of here, I would definitely report everything to the competent authorities. This is how I fell asleep without even noticing it. The sound of the opening door woke me up. The same worker was standing at the door and looking around in surprise. Then he glanced at me. He grabbed me by the waistcoat and dragged me into the director's office while saying that my parents would be in huge trouble because of my hooliganism. In the director's office, he told everything he saw in the warehouse and the director asked him to walk out the door. And he told me that if he called the police, they would convict me of hooliganism and my parents would have to pay huge compensation to the store. He offered to call my parents and ask them to come, so I did this. I really didn't want to frame up my parents. Then I remembered about the documents. Apparently, it was a time for action, and I told the store director that if he demanded compensation for my parents, I would complain to the sanitary service and their store would be closed. We agreed not to file complaints about each other, and when my parents arrived, I took the phone from the chair and we went home. On our way, my parents said that they had been looking for me in my friends' houses all night and even filed a missing persons report. I told them where I had really been and they were horrified. My parents made me stay with my granny at home and went to the police to file a report. When they left, I finally came to my senses after everything that happened and felt a sharp pain in my stomach. Then I remembered about the wings. I asked my grandma to call an ambulance and I was taken to the hospital because of the poisoning. After the gastric lavage was carried out, I told my parents about the documents that I had seen and they applied to the sanitary service. I was discharged from the hospital and then developed a fear of shops and meat. I stopped eating this product and since then, only my parents go shopping. Soon, I saw in the news about the closing of this supermarket due to multiple violations. The director was arrested because he knew he was selling potentially dangerous food. Well, finally, justice had been served. This has not eradicated my fears, and I'm still a vegetarian. The thing is, is that my trust toward all these chain stores has been completely undermined. I don't even know if I will ever be able to eat meat again. From this whole story, I learned a lesson having realized that modesty is not always good. Sometimes you need to be able to express yourself and the louder you will do it, the better. In some cases, modesty can turn into a threat to life, as in my case. If I hadn't found that lighter, I would have easily died of the freezer burn that night. 
Sometimes I would look up the tall skyscrapers as I walked down the city streets begging for money. I used to live in one of those. I used to have a view of the ocean, a concierge, a doorman. I tipped my valet well and he was a friend of the family. But that all feels like a lifetime ago. Now I'm alone, penniless, washing car windows and begging strangers for change for a living. It all started when I met Chelsea at a charity gala. She was the prettiest girl in the room, and I was the richest one. Hi, I'm Drake. I just thought I'd introduce myself, seeing as we'll be married soon. Chelsea laughed at my cheesy line, but it worked. A year later, we got married at a cathedral in Spain. We flew our friends and family over. We had a ceremony filled with luxury. A whole orchestra, ten pairs of swans, white flowers bedecked the whole place. And yet, as soon as the wedding was over, all Chelsea did was complain. I mean, sure, Bali is Bali, but isn't it a bit uninspired for a honeymoon? Half the people here are Australians. I wish you'd have taken me to Switzerland or Cape Town. You're Drake Nathans for crying out loud. All of Hollywood is at your feet and you take me to Bali? She said this as she sipped on a $100 drink while lounging on a yacht next to a private tropical island. Chelsea's appetites were insatiable. She bought everything she fancied. Five years after our wedding, there were still clothes, bags, and necklaces that she bought with my money on our honeymoon that she hadn't even worn once. Chelsea quit her job the moment we got home and became a professional leech. All she did was attend celebrity parties and flirt with guys twice her age. She complained that I didn't give her a big enough allowance and didn't buy her expensive gifts. Meanwhile, she used my card to go on shopping sprees and to treat her girlfriends to lavish vacations. When she had our kids, the spending only got worse. She was never home, and I had to take care of the kids myself, even when I was filming. The kids loved it, though. But one day, I came home and Chelsea was gone, and so were the kids. My paintings, my statues, my cars, all gone. My safe was emptied, and the bank account was drained. I heard she ran off with some young model she met at a party, and no matter how much I spent on private investigators, they couldn't find her. I wouldn't have minded being poor if I had my kids, but she took them, and she didn't even care about them. Then, she had someone deliver a message. She would only give my kids back if I sent her money. Lots of it. I sold what I could. I borrowed from the bank, but no matter how much I sent, my kids never appeared. I worked as much as I could, but the financial hole Chelsea left in me was too vast. And soon, I was deep in debt. The banks took my house, they took everything that I had left, and I became a pauper. I had to live on the streets. It was tough at first. My friends tried to help, but Chelsea told everyone I was a bad father and that I did unspeakable stuff to her. Nobody believed me when I denied her lies. I was alone in the world. People who passed me by would recognize me and insult me. They would take photos and make memes about how low I sank. After a while, people moved on, and the world forgot about Drake Nathans. The only way I could really make money was teaching self-defense in martial arts classes. It was at least one skill from my acting career that could make stable money. 
I was on my way to interview for a job when I saw a commotion break out. A girl wearing copious amounts of jewelry was running down the street, and three crooks were running after her. They cornered her in an alley, and I ran through traffic, dodged and jumped over cars just to get there in time. One of them already had the girl in his grasp. And don't move. If you come any closer, she's a goner. You don't want to get tangled up in this, homeless guy. Run along. Here's a dollar. The guy tossed a bunch of coins at my face, but I caught one and threw it back straight at him. While they were all shocked, I swiped the first guy with my feet and he fell to the ground. I elbowed the other one in the gut and he doubled over. And then I ran at the wall and used that to jump behind the third guy. I grabbed his arm and put it behind his back. The girl was free. You're safe now, miss. Suddenly, ten guys in suits came rushing towards us. Two of them grabbed my arms and pushed me to the ground. Princess, are you alright? Princess? Shut up, you lowlife. Did these guys hurt you, princess? Hudson, call the cops. We'll need to investigate who's behind this. I, I'm sorry, but the guy you're holding down, he's not with them. He's the one that saved me. Suddenly, I was being helped up. The guys apologized, and the princess asked if there was anything she could do to thank me. That was when one of the guards recognized me. Holy, that's Drake Nathans. Dude. Drake Nathans? Who's that? The princess drove me to her mansion in the city, and she had someone bring me fresh clothes. She housed me in her guest house and fed me, and when I had rested, she summoned me to her room. She had spent the whole night watching all my movies. She listened to my story, and she pitied me. And so, as a reward for saving her, she made me her personal trainer and martial arts instructor. I taught her judo, and there were times where her face would come so close to mine and she would grab my arm to disarm me, and it made all the maids watching us blush. One time, she lost her balance, and her lips landed on my neck. I had goosebumps all over, and we both jumped back in embarrassment. Hands off her, you! I looked around and saw the princess's fiancé. Aren't you being too comfortable touching the princess like that? Oh, he didn't mean it. I... I fell. Nevertheless, a peasant shouldn't be touching a princess. You should make him wear gloves. You, servant, go fetch me some tea. The princess and I have something to discuss. But the princess's lessons are unimportant compared to the royal wedding. I was dismissed, and that night the princess came to me crying. She had no desire to marry Kirin, especially because when they were young, Kirin told her she was ugly. But now that she was going to be queen, he used his family's influence to get engaged to her. Nobody liked the guy. Even the guards would have hit him already if he wasn't a lord. He treated everyone as if he owned them. And I didn't want the princess to end up with a guy like that. But princess, I can't do anything about it. I'm not a princess. I'm just Kate when I'm with you. You make me happy. You're the one I want to marry. She took my face and kissed me. And for three long, infinite seconds, I felt heaven. It wasn't just in my head. She was in love with me too. See? You can do something about it. If you love me, take me with you. You have to take me out of here. I didn't want to put Kate's life in that position. But when I overheard Kieran confess that it was him who sent those thugs after Kate, everything changed. Kate's safety was at stake, and I did the one thing that I knew would protect her. We ran. 
And for months, Kieran's thugs hunted us. Kate and I sent coded messages back to the palace to tell everyone we were okay, and our guards gathered evidence for what Kieran did. One night, while we were in one of our hideouts, the stars were so beautiful that Kate and I decided to go for a walk on the beach. The waves were so tall, and the boats were camouflaged, so we didn't hear them approach. Suddenly, we were surrounded by Kieran's thugs. I fought them off one by one, but I was running out of steam. Kate began sobbing from hopelessness, and just when I couldn't fight anymore, a bright light shone on us from above. Soldiers rappelled down the beach, and one by one, Kieran's thugs were apprehended. Princess, I'm so glad we got here in time. We were saved. The palace couldn't prove that Kieran had had bad motives, and so they basically used us as bait. But it all worked out in the end, and Kieran was taken to prison. Our story became a spectacle. The whole world wanted to know our stories. Someone even made a movie out of it, starring me. Finally, I was back in Hollywood, and my stardom was restored. At the movie's premiere, I felt someone grab my arm. I was pulled back, and immediately guards surrounded us. I looked back and saw my ex-wife behind the barricades, and she had my kids. They were all grown up. We lost it all. Ran, ran out of money. I've been raising them on my own all this time. Please, please help me. Sir, do you know this woman? I looked her up and down and then I smiled. No, I don't know this woman. The Chelsea I knew would have never worn a dress with holes in them. She would have worn makeup and she would have had jewels everywhere. She might claim to be my wife, but she's not. Those are my kids, though. Let them in. Chelsea begged to be let in with our sons, but I just ignored her. I'm sorry. Take me back. We can be married again. I looked at her one last time. Marry you? When I have a princess as my fiance? Kate showed everyone the sapphire ring I gave her. And as the paparazzi cameras flashed all around us... We kissed. Ever feel like someone's always watching you? You know the feeling, but when you turn around, nobody's there? Well, I get that feeling all the time. I don't even know when it started. All I know is that I've been starting to notice them when I began working for Elaine. I met her during a job fair. Our high school had a booth, and we were there so that us kids could learn what kinds of careers we could go into in the future. I was a computer whiz, and so I knew I wanted to be in an exciting startup or multi-billion dollar firm in Silicon Valley. I didn't even bother looking at the brochure Elaine gave me when I heard her company was offering a position as a back-end developer for a private investigator agency. I was voted most likely to take over Google, and I guess that went to my head a little. But months later, when I failed to secure a position at all the major companies in Silicon Valley, I was brought low. I guess you could say I was humbled. I didn't know the screening process and the requirements would be that stringent, and I didn't want to disappoint my family and my school, so I was seriously considering going to college even though I didn't want to. But then I realized how much money it would cost, and my parents weren't well off at all. I didn't want to work my whole life paying for student loans either. So after weighing my options, I instead applied for a tiny startup at some guy's basement. Their letter arrived the same day that I got a weird envelope from Elaine's private investigator firm. Once again, she offered me a job. She said she had been following my career as an amateur hacker. She must have googled that I had participated in some hackathons in the state. 
Uh, I ignored her letter again, and I was about to actually sign my new contract with that startup when I took a glance at Elaine's letter and saw something I didn't even notice. At the very bottom of the letter, she wrote a number. I thought it was a phone number at first, so I didn't even see it. But the reason why it looked like a phone number was because of the amount of zeros. She was offering to pay me five times more than I would make at that startup. My hands began to tremble. I had to dial her number three times because I couldn't stop shaking from nervousness. Uh, hello? Henry, I've been waiting for your call. I'm glad you reached out. Uh, hi, Miss Elaine. I-, I think there was an error in the letter you sent me. There seems to be too many zeros on this figure. Elaine laughed, and I only then noticed that she had such a beautiful voice. Oh, no, dear. That's what you'll be making if you work for us. There was no error. I couldn't believe my ears. I had to double check. No, triple check. Uh, are you sure? And and it'll be in my contract, right? (laughs) Of course, sweetheart. Your contract's already drafted and waiting for you to sign it. I felt like I was floating. I felt like I won the lottery. Uh, when can I start? Come in at nine in the morning tomorrow. We wear ties here, so look sharp. You don't have to bring anything. The company will provide you with whatever you need. Laptops, servers, and however many monitors you want. I, I-, I look forward to seeing you, Miss Elaine. Uh, th- thank you so much for this, this this opportunity. Just call me Elaine. I'm only a few years older than you, after all. I didn't get to sleep that night. I tried, but I was buzzing with excitement. It felt like electricity was rushing through my body. When the clock hit seven, I got up, made myself breakfast, and got ready. I brushed my teeth twice, just to make sure, and I made my way to my new office. It was lucky that I decided to leave an hour earlier, because I had no idea where it was. The place was so tucked away in the middle of Chinatown that you wouldn't have guessed that such a fancy place was in there. The door was this tiny gate that didn't even have a sign. I only found out because I saw someone go in with a package that had the same logo as Elaine's letterhead. The gate led to a narrow alley, which led to a staircase, and when I went up, I realized that the agency was on top of the Chinese restaurant that I stood in front of for a good ten minutes. I guess for a private investigator agency, it really fit the bill. Only, you'd have to be an investigator as well if you wanted to find their offices. Elaine introduced me to my new colleagues. It was a small team. There were maybe four investigators, two clerks, an accountant, and me, the tech guy. But for some strange reason, there were always men and women. Some of them dressed in suits, the other wearing anything from mailman uniforms to gardener's outfits. They would all go through that one strange door at the end of the hall. But then I'd never see them come out. Miss Elaine, what's that door? Oh, that? It's not important. It's some other company. And that was the end of that. I sensed that Elaine wasn't going to tell me more, so I didn't press. The company gave me everything I wanted. When I wanted a new server room installed, they tore down an entire office for me and put in the best equipment and climate control that money could buy. Elaine bought me three laptops, all sporting the absolute latest GPUs that weren't even on the market yet. I coded software for the investigators to use. I developed apps for surveillance and communications. I programmed the software for their bugging and camera technologies that they used in the field. I was even able to create a program that made it easier for them to track a person's whereabouts without installing a tracker. With my work, Elaine's company was able to easily identify and find missing persons and other people who were on the run. 
I'm sure I'll get in trouble for saying this, but when we badly needed to find someone, I would hack into the street cameras in the city's CCTV network, and then I would use my very own facial recognition software to quickly rifle through millions of frames to find them. For the nastier persons of interest, I would fish them. Sometimes it'd be an official-looking announcement or someone trying to tell them they'd want something. We got the bad guys every single time. My desk was massive, and I had six monitors. I felt like the real deal. But that was when the strange occurrences began. One time, when I was standing by the water cooler waiting for my turn, the hairs on the back of my neck picked up. I quickly looked behind me and saw that the camera CCTV was staring right at me. I stared into it, confused. I swear that thing's looking at me. Uh, sorry, what? I looked back at the camera, only to find it facing the other direction. I shook my head in confusion. N nothing. I was just imagining things. It didn't stop there, though. There were times when I'd be the only one left in the office, and I'd get that feeling again. The one where you feel someone's looking at you. But when I looked outside the windows, when I checked every room in the office, there was nobody else. One evening, I had to run out of there, because all the cameras in the room began pointing towards me. It was so creepy. But even at home, I didn't feel safe. I would lay awake at night just listening to the noises because I felt like someone was following me. One time, I swear I heard a camera click, but when I looked outside my window, there was nothing. Just an owl sitting on a tree. Some days, I would wear dark sunglasses, wear hats, and the most boring of jackets just to blend into the crowd and avoid someone following me or recognizing me. Once, I could have sworn I caught someone with a camera following me, and that was when I began having my theories. I'd always wondered why I felt so special, why my life was like a movie, like it was all fake. And then I realized it is. My life is probably a movie, and that was why there were cameras following me. Another theory I had was that the government was watching me. It kept me up at night. They probably know that I was hacking into their systems for our company, and I was so scared that they'd one day jump out of the bushes and arrest me. My last theory was a bit more far-fetched, but if it wasn't either of the first two, I thought it would be that. I theorized that I was living in a simulation. It was probably why things felt too easy, and maybe that door at the back of the office was a glitch. People kept going in, but they never came out. And then there was Elaine's office. I knew that glass panel was a two-way mirror. I could tell. So one random day, I decided to find out for myself. What was in her office? Was it just a normal office? Was it a producer's room for my life's movie? Were the government agents hiding there? Or was it just a bunch of wires supporting our simulation life? All I knew is that that secretive room had all the answers. So I got up from my desk and opened the door. My colleagues all stood up at the same time and tried to stop me, but it was too late. In that room was Elaine. There were hundreds of monitors. The largest of them showed my empty desk. There were at least 20 of them showing various areas of my house. One of them was walking through a crowded street. Another was just outside the Chinese restaurant. I, I knew it. They were producing the movie of my life. I was so ready to blurt it out when Elaine panicked and confessed to everything. I... I'm so sorry. I brought you here because I have a huge crush on you. I, I wanted to know your every move, but I couldn't bring up the courage to tell you. I've been watching you since we met on that hackathon five years ago. I'm calling the cops. Please, please don't. It's all my fault, but please, I'll lose my job. 
Finally, I had something to bargain with. I'd wanted to know what that door at the end of the hall was, and Elaine finally confessed. Our agency was fake. The door at the end of the hall was the entrance to a secret government facility. They enter at the door and come out of a tunnel two blocks away. And all this time, I had been working as a spy. No wonder I was earning so much. Elaine was my handler, and after that day, she finally took me through that door, and I became a real spy. Now, Elaine and I work on international cases. I still catch her watching me sometimes, but it doesn't bother me anymore, especially now that she's my girlfriend. My name is Alan. I have a wife and two young daughters. I'm just an ordinary man who has a boring office job. But what I'm about to tell you is something incredible. For this story, I need you to open your mind as much as you can. I won't judge you if you don't believe me. To tell you the truth, if my family hadn't gone through what I have, I wouldn't believe myself either. It all started when we moved into this house where my parents had lived all their lives. My mother had recently passed away and the house was uninhabited. We decided that what she would have wanted was for us to live there, to fill the house with new and beautiful memories with her granddaughters. What we didn't know was that we were not going to be alone. At first, we only heard strange noises in the house. The children would tell me that they saw people walking around at night, that the doors would open and close by themselves, or that the doorbell would ring by itself. I can't deny the noises, but the kids had never lived in a big house, so the rest was probably a product of their imagination. After a while, even I could deny what was happening. Doors opened and closed on their own without the slightest drop of air running through the house. The faucets opened and some rooms were freezing in the middle of summer. All this would have been enough for me to leave except for one detail. I was sure that the presence that inhabited the house was my mother. At first, I was afraid, but eventually I began to hear someone humming a familiar song. It was the same one my mother used to sing to me when I was little. My family didn't seem very convinced of this, but I convinced them by making them see what was going on in the house had never hurt any of us in any way. Everything was fine for a while. We tried to get used to what was going on, but things started to get worse. Some dishes started flying dangerously against us. The kids felt constantly watched, and even I started to get a strange feeling that something bad was going to happen. Was my mom mad about something? Or was there something else in the house? We had only one way to find out. Ask her. The day we chose to do it was Halloween, since that was the night when all the spirits are most active and all the paranormal activity increases. We bought an Ouija board with my wife and no one looked at us worried. Apparently, everyone bought them for this date. When the night came, the girls went to a friend's house to spend the night and ask for candy. So the house was only for me, my wife, and my brother, who proposed to help us with the process. Playing with the Ouija board on Halloween. How fitting, right? Make one more joke and I'll go trick-or-treating with the girls. <laughs> Mothers-in-law are really scary, aren't they? <laughs> Without further words, we started to play. We started asking her simple questions like if there was someone on the other side or if she lives with us in the house. But when we asked her if she was my mother, the board went to no and the mood changed immediately. Alan, it said no. Is my mother with you? Well, can we talk to her? 
Alan, I don't like this. We should get going. What do you want from us? B. L. O. O. D. Before I could say anything, the board shook much harder and suddenly it launched itself at me. To hell with saying goodbye! Let's go! My brother screamed in terror as we all started to run. The house began to shake and all the paintings fell down. We reached the exit door and everyone ran to the car, but I stopped. Behind me, I heard my mother humming the lullaby. Alan, what the hell are you doing? Let's go! No, I have to check to see if I see my mom. Wait for me! I promise I'll be right back! Just let it be! That is not mom! Without hearing them yelling at me to come back, I went back into the house. Maybe it sounds crazy. Hell, it was probably crazy. But I wanted to hold on to the slim chance of seeing her again one last time. I went into the room where we played Ouija, and the light in the next room, the kitchen, began to flicker. I stood in the dining room looking at her, and there she was. My mom, upon seeing me, stopped humming the song. I was about to hug her, but I felt something strange that prevented me from going. But at the same time, my body was totally paralyzed, and I could only stand there looking at her. She never was, just something that played with me from the beginning. I got in the car crying, and as Cheryl was scolding me, I looked at the window of the house, and standing in it was my mother standing there, greeting me with a huge smile. Her eyes and mouth were cooked as she finished waving at me. Her face was shaking, like the monster I had seen in the kitchen. Several months passed since everything happened. After my brother put us up in his house, we were able to raise the money to move out on our own again. We did not suffer any paranormal event again, nor did we try to sell that house. We do not wish that nightmare on anyone else. From now on, no more ghosts. I will only spend time with my wife and daughters. It's what my mother would have wanted. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the video. If so, please leave a like. And also, a small percentage of people that watch my videos are actually subscribed. If you want to support this channel and make this channel reach the 1 million mark, please consider subscribing. It's free and you can change your mind later. Enjoy. This incident happened one Halloween night. Since then, I have stopped celebrating Halloween in my house. My wife and I couldn't have children of our own. Hence, we generally had a soft corner for kids. My wife, Samara, would buy lots and lots of candies before every Halloween to give to the neighborhood kids. So this one Halloween, we went to the supermarket to pick up groceries and candies. While returning home, we saw cop cars in front of our neighbor's house. Feeling curious, I stopped the car. Oh, I think something bad has happened here. 
So many cops here. Look, the paramedics are coming too. My wife pointed out the ambulance coming our way, and I realized the gravity of the situation. A group of people were decorating the streets for Halloween, but now they were all gathered around the house watching the scene with us. Two cops came out of the house, and we heard a woman's shrill cry. Oh God, my son, my poor Liam. Oh God, I want him back. I want him back, please. We saw our neighbor, Mr. Dempsey, trying his best to hold his paranoid wife. Miss Dempsey was out of control. She was screaming and crying like hell. The paramedics went in. The paramedics went in and took out a smaller boy that was wrapped in black polythene. It wasn't hard to tell from the size of the boy that it belonged to a child. The cops took away the body, and Mr. and Miss Dempsey went to the paramedics. My wife and I were still standing there with no clue whatsoever. When we saw two men coming our way, I asked one of them, "Excuse me, what happened here?" "Oh, don't ask, man. Poor Dempsey's. They lost their child before Halloween." "What? Why? What happened?" Uh, a seven-year-old son was playing in the basement when he accidentally locked himself inside an old cupboard. Mr. and Mrs. Dempsey were upstairs in the kitchen when they called out to their son for dinner and he didn't show up. They felt weird and went down to check on him. They searched the entire basement but couldn't find him. That's horrifying. How did they find him then? Well, Mrs. Dempsey saw a piece of blue cloth peeking out from the cupboard door. She opened it. And then found the poor, lifeless kid inside the cupboard. Samara got emotional, and I too felt extremely bad for the Dempseys. No pain in this world could surpass the pain of losing your child. We came home, and Samara didn't talk the entire afternoon. She just sat on our porch and watched the neighbors dressing up for Halloween. Once the sun went down, kids started to come out of their houses wearing all kinds of spooky costumes. They went door to door asking for candies. No matter how disheartened we were, we still got up, brought our candy bowls, and gave them to all the kids who came trick or treating. You know, Jonah, I just realized something today. Samara said while closing the door after distributing the last bit of candies to a group of kids. What's that, hun? It's good that we don't have kids. At least I don't have to be afraid of losing them. I just can't imagine what pain Mrs. Dempsey is going through right now. I could see her teary eyes. I hugged her and kissed her on the forehead. Come on, let's go to bed. You need to sleep. That poor kid. We went upstairs. I stood in front of the bedroom window for a while. The entire neighborhood had gone quiet by the time. All the kids were back home. Every house was glittering with lights and candles placed inside pumpkin heads, except the Dempseys. Their house was in complete darkness. Heaving a sigh of sorrow, I went to bed too. I don't remember when I fell asleep. But suddenly, a noise woke me up. Rubbing my eyes, I got up on the bed and heard that noise again. Someone was knocking on the door. I looked at the clock. It was 2:30 in the morning. Samara was deeply asleep. I came downstairs and opened the door. To my surprise, a kid was standing on my porch. A boy wearing a blue t-shirt and white shorts. He kept his head down so I couldn't see his face. Hey kiddo, why are you out so late? Do your parents know you're here? No. The kid's voice sounded so weird to my ears. Also, the fact that he was dressed so casually startled me a bit. After all, it was Halloween, and this kid was not in a costume. I asked again. Are you all right? As the kid lifted his head, I almost got a heart attack. 
His face was pale, like a blank sheet, and his eyes were completely black, darker than the darkness. Whoa, you look pretty spooky. This was a good idea for a Halloween costume, though. I'm hungry. Can I have some candies? He opened his palm, saying this. You're a little late, buddy, but uh, let me see what I can do. Wait here, okay? The kid tilted his head to the right and just stood that way like a statue. I thought to myself that this kid not only nailed his Halloween look, but also acted scarily. I went to check the fridge and found a half-eaten chocolate bar. I grabbed it and came back to the door to give it to the kid, but he was gone. Thinking the kid had gotten inside, I quickly turned around and said, Hey, I have some chocolate for you. Take it and go home. Your parents must be worried. But the kid was nowhere to be seen. I was contemplating what just happened when I heard chuckling and running footsteps in our basement. I opened the basement door and yelled. Come out of there, kiddo. It's too late to play here. Come on, let me take you home. I can't see. It's so dark in here. Just like last time. I turned on the basement light, but shockingly, it didn't turn on. I remember very well that the light was working just fine in the afternoon. Thinking the kid might get scared down there, I grabbed a small flashlight and started walking down the basement stairs. Two white bedsheets were hanging on the wire at the end of the basement. As I flashed my light at the gap between those sheets, I saw the kid standing there and staring at me with a creepy big smile. Okay, time to go home now. Saying this, I walked to the bedsheets, and as I moved them to catch the kid, the hair at the back of my neck stood up. I found myself standing alone in the basement. It was as if the kid just vanished in thin air. There was no one. I repeat, no one behind those sheets. A chilling wind turned the atmosphere around me cold. That's when I heard the chuckle once again. Turning around, I now saw the kid standing right behind me. Blue bangs had appeared on his pale face, and the black thick liquid was dripping down from his eyes. He snatched the chocolate bar from my hand, and I felt his touch. His hands were colder than ice. What? Who are you? I am Liam Dempsey. Can you take me home now? I think I'm lost. Can you help me? (laughs) Oh my god! That's it. I don't remember after that. I fainted, and Samara found me in the basement when she came looking for me in the morning. She was surprised and kept asking me why I was sleeping on the basement floor the entire night. But I couldn't tell her what I saw. I often heard about these black-eyed kids, but it was my first time with a real one. I don't know why poor Liam turned into a black-eyed kid, but I think the fact that he died in darkness somehow made him look that way. What do you think? Do you really know how much a traumatic situation can break a child? Sometimes it's hard to admit, but my own father is a disgusting monster. When I was young, although he was never particularly fond of me, he didn't treat me bad either. On the other hand, with my sister, that man was different. Ever since Jane was born, six years after me, 
Our father was always very close to her, pampering and overprotecting her all the time. Our mother thought she was just daddy's spoiled daughter. But two years ago, we found out what he was really doing to her at the time. Something that shouldn't be done to a child. Soon, mom denounced him, and so he left our lives. But my sister had already been very affected. As a 10-year-old girl, Jane suffered from fits of rage and was very emotionally dependent on her family. More on me than our mother. She didn't like to play with other children or leave the house. In fact, when she saw another man, she would start screaming. For two years, Jane had been receiving therapy. She had even changed her psychologist several times. But her case was progressing slowly. Still, our mom didn't want my sister to be given any kind of medication. Adam! I'm here, in the kitchen. Uh, what's going on? Why didn't you wake me up? You're having breakfast without me? Oh, chill out. Even though I asked her to, her angry expression didn't change. You were sleeping so peacefully, I, I didn't want to... Anyway, I, I prepared your food, okay? Do you like leaving me alone? You know I don't. I, I just did it to let you rest, I think. Right. I needed to rest, because today is Halloween. But you don't even like to go out. I'll wait all night for you to bring me my candy. <laughs> uh... It was common for me to do that on Halloween. And in fact, I like to bring her candy to make her happy. But that year, I had different plans. I'm sorry, little one, but tonight I won't be able to make it. But what about my candy? I'll buy you some tomorrow. It's not the same. What are you going to do then, huh? The truth was that, weeks ago, my best friend Billy had invited me and Emma, another friend, to a Halloween party. Are you going out with Emma? I'm going out with my friends. It'll just be this time, okay? In the evening that same day, I was ready. I had disguised myself as a skeleton. In fact, I was truly satisfied with my appearance. A short time later, I received a message from Emma. I'm outside your house, it said, since we had planned to go to Billy's Halloween party together. As I opened the front door of my house. <laughs> Looks good on you. I was going to say exactly the same. <laughs> Luckily, the abandoned house where Billy had planned to have the party wasn't too far away, but we had to cross a path through the woods. After a while, we arrived at an old building. It's pretty obvious it's here, isn't it? I mean, I can't remember the last time I heard so much noise. Oh, shut up. Let's have some fun. My friend took me by the hand, and together, we ran towards the place. Arriving at the front door, she rang the bell. Soon, Billy opened it. Man, you came! Hey! Let's get to the point, Billy. Where are the drinks? Follow me! Oh. Can you check that, Adam? I'll be right back. I didn't mind helping him, so I turned and walked to the door. Huh? But there's no one... Shit! As a reflex action, I had moved away. But I went back to the door as soon as the bell rang again. What the hell? A, a fucking mask? The stranger stood still for a few seconds. Until suddenly, they launched towards the doorbell camera. Stop it already! <laughs> What's up, Adam? I thought you were gonna open the door. It was a kid making a joke. If you say so, come on! Don't you want to dance with Emma? I put aside what had happened and walked over to my friend, who was already dancing in the crowd. Adam! I joined her, 
which really relaxed me, as moving my body to the music with, was quite fun. Until I saw that person again. The broken doll was now inside the house, separated from the other people. What's wrong? I think there is a child at the party. A child? <laughs> in the blink of an eye, my friend's expression changed to one of fear. Uh, Emma? When she fell to the ground, I could see that she had a knife stuck in her torso. Uh, Emma! Uh, Billy, come here! My friend came after a few seconds when the people around were realizing what was happening. Shh! What happened? I... I don't know. What the fuck are you waiting for? Call an ambulance! I took my cell phone out of one of my pants pockets, but I couldn't concentrate. I, I can't do anything with such loud music! Well then go upstairs, genius! It didn't take me long to walk among the people until I reached the stairs of the house and went up to the second floor. I typed the emergency number and was about to call. What? The broken doll was there, coming up the stairs in an oddly wobbly way. Did you like what I did to Emma? What the? My heart started beating fast when I saw the person had a knife in their hand, so I decided to run along a hall, enter a room, and lock the door. Adam, I need you. I could barely see in there. What the heck? What the heck? You are there, aren't you? Get out! I need you. Is, it, is this a fucking joke? I'm calling the police. The police? What for? Forget that. I need you. Let's go for my candy together. My skin got goosebumps the moment I realized. Jane? I'm not afraid to go out anymore. I can take care of anyone who wants to hurt me. <laughs> you saw it yourself. My sister was too young to go to jail and broken enough to be sent to a mental hospital. So that's where she is now. After the attack, I did my best to apologize to Emma. But that didn't make it any better, as it had been too traumatic for everyone involved. Sometimes it's hard to admit, but I don't miss Jane. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.